Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. I want to ask you a question. When you think about the Old Testament, just kind of think this in your mind for a moment. When you think about the Old Testament, what kinds of things come to your mind? When you think about the Old Testament, what kinds of things come to your mind? I think for some, they'll say, they'll immediately go to creation, right? God creating everything. Others will think about Abraham uh, or Moses and the Exodus or David or, or some of the other Bible stories that they maybe remember hearing as a kid for the very first time. Um, others will actually begin to kind of look at the Old Testament look at the New Testament and go, wow, the Old Testament seems to have this wild separation from the New Testament, that the Old Testament displays a God who's angry and vindictive and, and a little bit scary. But then when you get to the New Testament, you begin to see a God who is patient, who's classified by love, who is full of mercy and grace. And what ends up happening as a result of that is you have way too many people avoiding the Old Testament in general. They end up not reading the Old Testament at all. And what they'll do is they'll kind of live in the New Testament. They'll read stories from the Gospels. They'll read the letters that Paul has to write to the churches. They'll read things from John or from James or even Revelation. But they avoid the Old Testament. And in doing so, when you avoid the Old Testament, you miss the richness of what the New Testament writers were expressing when they quote passages from the Old Testament. You, you miss out on the depth of the meaning of the metaphors that they leverage from the Old Testament to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ. And when you miss out on the weight, right, the heaviness that comes with the Old Testament, it's also a little bit more challenging to see the glory and the grace and the beauty of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And you need to know that all of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, all of it, is all revealing the fact that Jesus is God's son and he is the ultimate answer to our problem of sin and death. All of the Bible points to that reality. And so today, what I want to show you is I want to show you three truths about God's covenant, both the old and the new, and then I want to talk about one step that you and I can take today that will actually change the way that you interact with God. And it's not what you think it's going to be, whatever may be in your mind. I can almost guarantee it's not that. So uh, as Pastor Matt mentioned, if you'll open up to Hebrews chapter 8 in your Bible or click over there on your device, uh, that would be great. While you're finding Hebrews 8, which is in the New Testament, while you're going there, I do want to welcome you. My name is Fritz. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for being with us today. I want to welcome all of our guests especially. And then a big hello to people joining from Bluffton Community, Fostoria, Living Hope, and then our whole church family at Lighthouse Online. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're glad you're here because we're continuing on in our series called Focus, Resisting the Drift 
away from Jesus. Because when you look at the book of Hebrews and when you think about life, most people, if, they, if they're following Jesus Christ and then you begin to see them kind of moving away from Jesus Christ, there's never like this one big moment where they go, I'm going to stop following Jesus. I'm done. Usually where it starts is they take their gaze off of Christ and put it on something else. And in the process, as they're looking at that other thing, they slowly begin to drift in that direction and away from Jesus. And so the book of Hebrews and this uh, sermon series that we're in is really designed to reveal why Jesus Christ is the greatest person or thing you will ever encounter in your entire life. And so that's where we're really going to be spending our time today. And so uh, I know Pastor Matt prayed for us, but if you'll uh, do me uh, just a moment of grace, I would like to take a moment to pray as well. So let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, I, I sense in our culture we tend to be very busy and we tend to be very hurried. I feel that in my own life. I imagine my friends feel that too. Uh, maybe they felt busy and hurried even getting here this morning, running behind or trying to get everybody coordinated or, or whatever it might be. And I'm wondering that in this moment, would you quiet our minds? Would you even slow the pace of our heartbeat and grant us the ability to hear your voice with such clarity that we simply cannot miss it. And I pray that for myself as much as I pray for anybody else in the room or anybody else who's joining us from wherever they're at. We desperately want to hear from you. And so you, may you speak to us with clarity through your scripture. We ask these things through the name of Christ. And everybody said, thank you. Hey, we're in Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to move through just the whole chapter quickly. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, but you can use the version that you have or on the screen behind me. But it says this, Now the point in what we are saying is this, We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifice. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. 
For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. There is a lot of content in these 13 verses. We cannot cover it all and remain friends, okay, (laughs) this morning, (laughs) So we're going to focus on three truths from this passage and how this speaks to us. So here's the first truth. Jesus is your high priest. Jesus is your high priest. Now, according to the Old Testament, the high priest has to be from the tribe of Levi, right? One of the 12 tribes of Israel. The high priest also has to be a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was the very first high priest uh, ever. The high priest oversaw all the priests of the temple and served as a mediator between God and people. And his most important role was to teach the regulations of God's covenant and to uphold them faithfully. And one of the high priest's greatest privileges was leading the Day of Atonement. This was the one time each year that the high priest was able to offer the annual sacrifice for all of Israel's sins. And it was the one time each year that he and he alone could enter into the most holy place, which was where the presence of God resided on earth in the tabernacle and in the temple. This was his greatest privilege to be able to do this. Okay? So you have to keep all of that in mind as we, get, as we begin to talk about and think about how Jesus is our high priest. Because Hebrews says that Jesus is our high priest now. And if you understand and you have a little bit of background about who Jesus is and what that means, you have to ask the question, how can Jesus be our high priest? Because if you know Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi, he's from the tribe of Judah. Yeah. So he's not a Levite, and he's not a descendant of Aaron. We don't know that he's in the, in the family lineage of Aaron. So you have to ask the question, how in the world can Jesus, who's not a Levite, who's not a descendant of Aaron, be our high priest? That's exactly what Hebrews chapter 4, 5, and 7 is talking about. Again, we can't unpack that. I would encourage you later to go and read those chapters, 4, 5, and 7 of Hebrews. But what those passages are saying is that Jesus is a different high priest, and he's a better high priest. How in the world does that work? Well, here's why. Primary point that Hebrews makes throughout the whole letter is this is that Jesus is God. That he's God. He was there 
before the tribe of Levi even became a tribe. He's the one who created the tribe of Levi, the entire nation of Israel. He's the one who created Aaron in the first place and designated him as a high priest. So he's not required to be in his lineage or be from that tribe because he started the whole thing. He's God. But then the other point that Hebrews makes so clearly is that Jesus is also human, completely. Which means that he identifies with our temptations and our weaknesses, every single one of them. In every way that you've been tempted, he's been tempted. In every way that you face weakness, Jesus has faced weakness. But there's a critical difference between Jesus and us. Never once did he sin. Never once did he fall short. Never once did he give in to temptation, nor did he fall into his weakness. He always walked in reliance and fellowship with the Lord. And so what that tells us is Jesus is truly holy. And the fact that he's 100% God and he's 100% man, he understands both sides intimately, which means he's the only one who can serve as the true mediator between God and people. He's the only one who can stand in the gap, okay? Now, you remember the high priest, he offers the annual sacrifice on the Day of Atonement that covers sins for all of Israel, and he can enter it the one time. This is what it's talking about in, uh, in the first part of chapter 8, where it says he's got to have something to offer, something to sacrifice. And so Jesus, as the high priest, he has something to sacrifice, but he goes a step further than an earthly high priest. Because not only does Jesus provide a sacrifice, Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the very sacrifice of God. And that's what Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 is describing. It says, For by the power of the eternal spirit, God, uh, G, excuse me, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. The perfect sacrifice sacrifice, okay? So when you put all of this together, you begin to see that Jesus really is our high priest, different and better than any high priest that has ever been, which that leads us to our second truth, and this is important. The second truth is that the old covenant cannot save you and cannot transform you. The old covenant cannot save you and cannot transform you. Now, for some of you here today who might have a little bit of background in this, that might catch you off guard because there are a lot of people who go, well, I, I thought that the people who lived in the Old Testament times, they were saved by following the law and, and making all those sacrifices. And now in, that we're in the New Testament times, we're in the New Covenant, we're saved by grace through faith. And so Old Testament, you're saved by following the law. New Testament, you're now saved by grace through faith. That's not at all what the Bible says. In fact, if you look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. Let's read this. This is an important passage. Let's read this out loud together, starting with, for since the law. Are you ready? Go. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. This next part is so, so important. Catch this. Ready? Go. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It can never. It can never make someone perfect 
before the law or before the Lord. The law can't do that. No one, hear this, no one has ever been saved by the law. No one. Because the Old Testament sacrificial system, this is again in Hebrews 8, was a copy and a shadow of the true worship from heaven. Okay, this is so, so important. It was foreshadowing, right? Telling what was going to come. It was foreshadowing the true perfect sacrifice that would make people perfect. Jesus. I'll, I'll hear people so often. They'll, they'll, they will read in the Old Testament. And they'll read in some of the Old Testament law and they'll go, oh my goodness. Can, well, look at this. In the Old Testament it says that, that it had to be an unblemished lamb with bones that weren't broken. And then they go and they read in the New Testament. And they're like, wow, Jesus is the unblemished lamb who has his bones were unbroken and he was a sacrifice in our place. Isn't it so cool how Jesus fits all the requirements of the Old Testament? And it's like, no, <laughs> that's actually not it at all. It's the exact opposite. In fact, because Jesus was always the true answer to our problem of sin, that he would always be the actual sacrifice that would bring us into perfection before the Lord, that meant the Old Testament had to fit the requirements of Jesus in order to foreshadow his coming. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not that Jesus fits the Old Testament. It's that the Old Testament fit Jesus who would come. That's so critical and so important to understand because you have to know it's always been the plan for the new covenant to come into play. Here's what I mean by that. You have to see that the Old Testament law came with a built-in frustration. Here's that frustration. The Old Testament law revealed God's expectation for righteousness and holiness. I think we can agree on that. Overwhelming. This is what God expects. This is the standard. This is, you got to meet this. If not, you're out of the band, right? And so the Old Testament law reveals that. But the other thing that the Old Testament law reveals is that no human can meet God's expectations for righteousness and holiness on their own. It can't be done. You can't pull it off. We need a hero. We need a better high priest. You know, if you look in verses 7 and 8 of Hebrews 8, that's the fault that's described that God found with the old covenant and the, and the people of the old covenant. See, God knew that this fault would arise. What's the problem? Verse 9, that the people could not remain faithful to the covenant on their own. They could know it. They could understand it, they could talk about it, but they couldn't keep it. They could never keep the requirements of the Old Covenant on their own. And you have to hear this. This is verse 13 of Hebrews 8. It was always God's intention that the first covenant would wear out and become obsolete and be replaced with the new permanent covenant in Christ. That was the plan from the very beginning. Okay? What the law shows us is this fundamental truth. We cannot save ourselves. That's what the Old Testament law reveals to us. We cannot save ourselves. That's why the Old Covenant cannot save you and cannot transform you. But that leads us to our third truth, that the New Covenant 
can save you. And the New Testament does save you and does transform you, okay? So think about this. 700 years before Jesus even showed up on earth in the flesh, 700 years before that, God announced through the prophet uh, Jeremiah about this new covenant. Because Hebrews 8 is just quoting Jeremiah chapter 31. And, And it says right here in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And this new covenant came with a massive change. And the massive change is this, that under the first covenant, you try really, really hard with all your effort and all your might and all the guilt that you can weigh down on top of yourself to be a better person and let the holiness come from the outside and work its way inside. If I do the right things, if I follow all the law, then I'll be a better person. That was the old covenant. But the new covenant, holiness flows from the inside out, right? This is what Jeremiah is talking about, that there's going to come a time when the laws will be written on our hearts and on our minds. Do you know know who Jeremiah is talking about? He doesn't even realize who he's talking about. The Holy Spirit. He's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us. Because that's exactly what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. He says, you show that your Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone on the outside, but on tablets of human hearts on the inside. You're going to be transformed from the inside, and it's going to make its way outside. And so because of the Holy Spirit in you, you will experience a new closeness with God that the people under the old covenant could only dream of and and struggle to imagine. That the Holy Spirit inside of you will empower you with new desires and new ability to do things you never thought were possible in your life. That God gives you a new heart and he puts his spirit inside of you to move you towards holiness. And all of this gift, right, all of these blessings, all are based on the reality of verse 12 of Hebrews 8. That God will forgive us, and choose to remember our sins no more. How does that happen? It's what we've been talking about all morning, that Jesus, our sinless high priest, would make your problem his problem. And in the most unfair trade ever recorded in time and space and history, he takes your problem and makes it his own, and he takes his righteousness and he gives it to you as a gift from faith, right? That's it. And then there's this added bonus. The added bonus is this. See, the old covenant changed. This is talked about in Hebrews 7. Go check it out later when you get a chance. But when the high priest dies, there's a change in the covenant. That's what it talks about. Guess Guess when our high priest will die? Never. Never. He's resurrected and will live forever, which means there will never be a change in the covenant ever again. This is the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why him rising from the dead and living today matters deeply, right? The new covenant does save you, and the new covenant does transform your life. Now that, again, we didn't even cover all of the content in eight, and that alone, right? It's like open up the spigot, fire hose, wah, you know, like, 
Some of y'all are going, okay, <laughs> what do I do with this? What am what I supposed to do? Here's, here's what I think the point that the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is sharing this with us. I think what he's inviting us to do by the Holy Spirit is this. Enjoy God's new covenant. Enjoy it. Enjoy God and enjoy his new covenant. And, and I know for, for probably many of you in the room, the thought of enjoying God seems so foreign, right? And it's like, it's just out there because too many of us, we don't think about enjoying God. What we think about is we think about working really hard for God. And we think, we think about, you know, I got to prove to God that he got a great deal on me when he saved me. You know, I got to prove to God that I'm really, really thankful. And so I'm going to do all the right things. I'm going to stay away from all the wrong things. And I'm going to show God that he's lucky to have me. And I'm going to pay him back in some way or another. And you just, you really don't want to make God mad. That's your hope. And so for a lot of people, your daily Christian living is a grind. And you're grinding it out, trying to do better. Staying away from doing worse. And some of us here today, we will never admit it in a room this size. Some of us here today are struggling deeply with sin. Deeply, right? You are in a battle and you feel like you're losing. And you feel frustrated. And you feel wore out. And you carry your shame with you all day long. And you know about it. And nobody else really knows about it, but you do. And you wonder sometimes if there's something wrong with me. And you ask yourself, if I were a real Christian, I wouldn't struggle with this stuff. Am I, am I even a Christian? I don't even know if I am because I don't think Christ followers would struggle with the things that I struggle with. And you feel the sin in your life. And you see the sin in your life. By the way, you see the same exact thing that God sees. God sees it too. He sees it, right? He knows you better than you know yourself. And you need to hear this. If you've not dialed in at any point until now, I'm going to ask you just to join in, right? You need to hear this. You cannot meet God's expectation on your own. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. On my best day, I won't even show up as a blip on the radar of God's holiness. You can't meet God's standards, not on your own. This is exactly why God ushered in the new covenant. This is exactly why he did it. That God, he's, he's kept all of the requirements on, of the covenant. He's kept all of the requirements of the covenant for you. He's already done all of the work through Christ for you. Jesus has completed all of it necessary for salvation and righteousness. All the work is done. Do you want to know what your work is? You want to know what my work is? To put all your weight on Jesus Christ, to trust him fully in absolutely every area of your life. In fact, do you want to know what the Hebrews, what the writer of Hebrews describes for us? Because he says, what he says is that since Jesus has accomplished all the work as our high priest, do you know what you have the promise of waiting for you by grace through faith? It's this, 
rest. Sabbath. That's what it says. Christ has done all the work so that you can enter into rest. And what do we do on Sabbath? We're meant to enjoy God's work. You're made to enjoy God and his covenant in Christ. And I know that that begs practical questions like, how how do you do that? What does that even look like? I'm going to describe it for you very quickly, so you're just going to have to keep up, okay? Here's the first way I think that we can enjoy God and his new covenants, this. Enjoy Christ's work for you. Enjoy Christ's work for you. This is the core of the new covenant. Take pleasure in the fact that Christ has accomplished all the work for salvation and righteousness. I would encourage you, if you don't, take time throughout the day to think about all that Christ accomplished in his life, how he kept all of the law, how even God like empowered Mary and Joseph to keep all of the law on behalf of Jesus as an infant and a newborn and all of those things, right? Like just absolutely amazing. In fact, you might even meditate on the passage from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, which says this, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Feels everything we feel. He wrestled with the things that we wrestle with, but the difference is he never fell to it. He never sinned once. And so relish in the reality that Jesus made your problem his own and he grants you his righteousness as a gift and invite the gospel to thrill your soul. That's the first way. I think a second way is to enjoy the Holy Spirit's transformation in you. Enjoy the Holy Spirit's transformation in you. Because another key piece of this new covenant is the person of the Holy Spirit. By the way, he's a guarantee for every person who's truly been born again. Paul writes about that in Romans 8. He said, if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you belong to God forever. Right? And that's the delineating line. Right? And so enjoy the Holy Spirit as he develops new desires in you. I, I remember... Uh, my life 20 plus years ago when I said yes to Jesus and I met him for the first time and he began to change my life. I remember the changes that started happening. One of the big ones that happened almost immediately is I started in my everyday language, I started using words that had more than four letters in them, right? It was like, I don't know what happened. It was just like this switch that got flipped and, and I just was talking differently. But then the other thing the Holy Spirit did was he started giving me a desire for prayer I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to be in church with my family and discover how God was moving in them and working in them, right? Those were all things God was doing in my life. That was 20 years ago. God is still changing my life today. You need to know that. It's not a once and done and never again. It's actually for the entire rest of your existence, right? God is transforming us. In fact, uh, just a few weeks ago, my family had planned to have this really like wonderful, relaxing day, and we were together and had this whole special thing planned. And that day, like, just stunked it up to high heaven, right? It, like, it was horrible. It was a rough, rough day. Nothing went right. Everything went wrong that could go wrong. And we got to the end of the day, and I remember Christine and I were lying in bed. We're just decomposing right there next to each other, and. She like looks over at me and she said, hey, you need to know I'm seeing God change your life. 
She goes, if we'd have had this kind of a day a while ago, I would have seen your frustration rise up through the roof. Your sarcasm would have gone off of the charts, right? Like you would have been really, yeah, hey, listen. Yeah, the shock, I can hear it in your voice, right? The sarcasm. And she goes, and that, that didn't happen today. She goes, I saw Jesus in you today. And, and I see God transforming your life. Sometimes you actually need other people to speak that into you because you don't see it all the time. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just doesn't work in you, and you don't even realize it, and you're being transformed. But like embrace that transformation every day through the Holy Spirit and enjoy it. And the last thing is this, is enjoy the gospel through you. Enjoy the gospel through you. If you look at verse 11, uh, there's a passage there that says, you're not going to have to teach anybody about me because everybody's going to know me right? But that's talking about the community of faith, those who came to faith. And it's not so much that we don't have to talk to each other about God, but it's that we have God's spirit in us. And so we know him on a new level that the people under the old covenant never knew. But what it's not including is the fact that there are countless other passages in the New Testament that actually encourage us to tell other people about who God is, actually command us to tell other people about who God is. And you need to know that in Hancock County alone, there are tens of thousands of people we live next to, we shop with, we show up to games together, we go to school with them, we work with them, right, in our county who are spiritually blind and disconnected from the Lord. And it is our good privilege to share the gospel with them. And because they're trying to earn a good life, they're trying to earn a class. If I can just, if I can be good enough, or I can find the right religion, or if I can make enough money, if I can have security, if I can have power and influence and be a good person, then I know I'll be okay. But you know that it won't work. You know that it won't work. You know that the only way to a transformed life is through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful. I was meeting with a friend this week, and she shared with me how she was talking to someone she doesn't know super well, but she was able to get into a conversation about her faith with him. And it just started with, hey, are you a part of a church? And he was like, ah, nah, I already done that before. I don't do that no more. And so she just started to share. She's like, hey, it's actually not about church. I don't do church or religion either. She goes, but it's really about the person of Jesus Christ. And she just crossed into talking about who Christ is to her, what he's done in her life. And, and what's, what I love even more than her willingness to say something to someone else is as she's telling me her story, like her eyes and her face and her voice are just full of joy and excitement that she got to tell somebody else about the most meaningful person in her life. And it was awesome to see that. It is a privilege for us to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. And so I want to encourage you, enjoy God, learn to enjoy God in his new covenant. It's amazing. It's incredible. And sometimes you, you know you just enjoy something immediately, right? You don't have to like try or whatever. And then other times you kind of have to step into and get it going and you learn how to enjoy something, right? Like, listen, a lot of you wives, you know what I'm talking about right now. Remember the first day you met your husband? You're like, nope. Look after how many years you've learned how to enjoy him, right? to a degree, (laughs) right? So some things that happens immediately, like Christina enjoying me. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm adorable. Uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's right. 
Can we edit that out of the, uh, yeah. No, but we, we take steps and we learn how to enjoy some things sometimes. And here's just an idea you might consider to help you grow in enjoying God's covenant. It's just simply this. We've been doing it all morning, memorizing scripture. Memorizing scripture, right? Like letting the spirit write truth on our hearts and on our minds. It's a great way to grow and enjoying God. And so we've actually been working on this verse all morning. I wonder if we'll just do it one more time together. Are you ready? Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, starting with so then. Are you ready? Go. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. I don't know what your week is going to hold for you. My hope is is this verse will be a reminder for you to hold firmly to your high priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who entered heaven, and he's there today. Listen, you were made to enjoy God. It's what you're created for. We desperately want to help you step into that. Can you imagine what your life would look like? Simply enjoying God day by day, moment by moment. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And we ask this question every single weekend, which is simply this. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And, and I just want you to listen to him for a moment. What's Jesus saying to you through this message and through this moment? God, I have this sense that there are many people in this room who can identify with this idea of, I, I've said yes to Jesus, but I'm afraid of God. I've said yes to him by faith, and I'm trying really hard to pay him back or to prove to him that I was a good purchase. And they've never crossed over learning how to enjoy you. And I'm wondering if you would lead us to that place today. Would you teach us how to do that? Would you teach me how to do that even more? May we simply enjoy the fact that all the work has been accomplished by Christ. And it's our good gift to look at it and gaze on it and enjoy it and be overwhelmed by it and let it thrill our souls and bring joy into our lives. And bring us to a place of humility and thankfulness and gratitude. I pray that in my own life. I pray that in the lives of my friends as well. If you're new to Lighthouse, one of the things that we love to do with one another is to pray. We love praying with and for each other. So let me tell you what's about to happen. The band's coming up on stage and they're just going to lead us in one more song. And during that song, we're going to have prayer leaders who are going to be available in each corner of the room. So I'm going to ask those prayer leaders if they'll start making their ways to those corners, if you would, so people know that you're ready to receive them. So we'll have one up here by the cross, one over here on my left, your right, one back by the sound booth. We'll have somebody guarding the doors so you can't leave. Um, but uh, I, would, I would ask during this time, um, you know, let's just stay in a mode of worship. You ha- if you have an emergency and you need to step out, I get that, I understand that. But I'm asking you to just stay, hang with us as we pray together. 
Um, but uh, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and then uh, I'm going to invite you to come and pray and worship as well. So uh, please don't ever be embarrassed to want to receive prayer. If this is your first time here and you're like, I would love to have somebody pray for me and pray with me, um, you can do that. You can just head to one of the corners. People have these lanyards on. They would love to pray with you today. But don't ever be embarrassed or seem like it's something bad. Uh, it's actually something really good. Uh, I'm up here most mornings being prayed over and prayed for. So um, let me do this. I'm going to ask you if you're here in the house, let's stand together and prepare for worship. If you're joining us online, maybe you'll do the same thing. But let me pray for you, and then I want to invite you to come as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.